so they will take they can take our lives but they'll never take our freedom um welcome on this rainy sunday morning welcome to those joining us at the other sides the topic today is freedom and uh there was actually lots of things that i thought about playing maybe some clips from speeches of dr martin luther king on freedom they they all sort of have this resonance they have this appeal because we want to be free. Uh, that, that, that resonates deeply inside of us. We want to be free. And as you heard, Galatians 5 says, uh, for freedom Christ has set us free. Gal- freedom is a big theme in the book of Galatians. Uh, it, we named the whole series Set Free because it is a big item. And as I was thinking about it, preparing for this particular talk, uh, I was struck by two things. First of all, a deep desire for those of you who are not feeling particularly free to experience some freedom. Those of you who are oppressed, whether it's by debt or addiction or fear or uh, something else, to, to sense in the love of God the freedom that we can have. And the second thing that I was struck by was the fact that um, freedom is a a pretty confusing topic. Uh, We have a desire to be free, and there's a handful of things that are relatively easy to say about freedom. Uh, It's a big deal today. Everybody talks about wanting academic freedom or sexual freedom or financial freedom or artistic freedom. You hear it talked about a great deal. In fact, I, I wrote down this quote Uh, One person said that uh, freedom is the baseline cultural narrative of life in the West. It is the highest human good, the only remaining moral imperative. I want and expect to be free. Um, Now, most people define that freedom as no limits, no consequences, and, and that's a big theme. We hear it at all kinds of different places. No less of a cultural bellwether than Disney itself has uh, in Frozen, this movie that sort of swept through all the young girls in the land, has Elsa sing, uh, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. I'm free. Right? I'm going to break through all the barriers, all the restrictions. No rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. I'm free. And it's not just in Disney movies. So I, I went back and was reading a Supreme Court decision, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where one of the justices wrote, and I remember hearing this at the time and, and just sort of shaking my head. One of the justices wrote and said, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence meaning the universe and the mysteries of life. We are free to define our own understanding of meaning, existence, right? The universe, we're free to define the universe. We're free to define the mysteries of life. So there are things that are clear. There's a big cultural mandate for freedom, and most people define freedom as no limits. I think there are some things that are a little bit less clear it's a little less clear that that definition of freedom is not a, a definition that works very well. And, uh, I mean, it just, it, right, the freedom, your freedom and my freedom break up, bump up against each other. 
And forget that. We have bigger problems than that because I have conflicting desires within myself. I have a desire to be in great shape and all the freedoms that come with with health. And I have a desire to eat whatever I want. And those desires conflict with each other. Uh, We are not free from consequences. So, look, um, we're going to realize, we're going to see that the greatest freedom comes from the loss of some freedoms. Because there's not just one freedom, there are freedoms. And we're also going to see, and this is Paul's point as we turn to Galatians 5, the great freedom that we can have comes in resting in the love of God understanding God's love for us, and then in following the law that he has given us. But it has to be in that order. First, resting in, understanding the great love that God has for us, and then following the law, it has to be in that order. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5. This is, I think, the ninth or 10th message in this series. We've established some things Uh, leading up to this, we've established that Paul is in a bad mood. He is mad at the people that he is writing to. He, He thinks they should not have been led astray as they were led astray. And so there's some harsh language in this letter. There's some surprising language, I suspect, for some of you, uh, in the passage we're going to look at today. We've also established that the big theme is how we relate to God. How do we approach God? And Paul was very clear that we approach God through faith and that faith in Christ leads to a relationship with God. It leads to salvation. And it leads then to good works. Faith equals salvation and works. What this group that has come into the area of Galatia up in northern Turkey, what they've come in and said to this group is that Paul was just a little off, just a little wrong, not much, but a bit. It's faith in Christ plus works equals salvation. And uh, they have a particular understanding of what those works need to be. And they're sort of bound in In the cultural context of first century Judaism, they're bound up in the law. They're bound up, sort of the the capstone on all this is circumcision. And so they're saying it's not faith equals salvation plus works, but faith plus works equals salvation. And Paul says that is not a small difference. That is a game changer. That's a rule breaker. Everything stops. It's not a gospel. It's a gospel, but it's it's no gospel. It's a gospel that doesn't work. And uh, so that's what we've seen, and, and I've also pointed out that, this, that the writing in Galatians is a bit dense. Uh, Paul is often dense. I suspect that if Paul turned in a, uh, one of the letters to a, a college English teacher, uh, there would be all kinds of red uh, marking it up, you know, that he needs more periods, he needs, you know, he needs to develop one thought in a sentence and uh, one thought in a paragraph. Paul can have long sentences, he can put a lot of thoughts in here. We've, we've seen that, we've, we've looked at truth and faith and motivation and, and the law, and now it's freedom. These are big, heavy, weighty topics, and uh, so we have to pay attention. We're in Galatians 5, beginning with verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So freedom is a fact. We're not, we're not being told to try and become free. We're being told that Christ has secured for you freedom. Christ has secured for us freedom. We're not being told that we've got to go fight for it. We're being told that it's been given to us. Now, what, what kind of freedom? Other parts of the New Testament would suggest that we can be free from guilt. We can be free from fear. The most common way Jesus greeted people was fear not. Right? That, was just, that was just the way he greeted his friends, fear not. We can be free from guilt. We can be free from fear. We can be free from the, the threat of the punishment of sin. In this particular passage, the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about is freedom from the oppressive hand of all the religious laws that the Jews have been trying to keep. So you may remember I said there were three categories of laws in the Old Testament. Civil, because they were a theocracy, so there was rules about how society was going to work. There was ceremonial laws, all the things that dealt with the temple and the sacrificial system and how they were, to, they were to go to the temple. And then there were moral laws. And the point was that when Christ died, the civil and ceremonial went away. Right? Now, the moral law also radically changed because Christ secured for us salvation, right? We're not, we're not trying to keep the law. I said there's three kinds of law, and I said the law did three things— The law was designed to help keep the Jews alive and functioning as a healthy society so they could give us a Savior. The law was designed to teach us that we could not keep it. We we cannot be good enough to ever earn God's love. And then the law also had this moral component because God created everything— God created you. God knows the beginning from the end. God knows all things. And so God says, this is the way the universe works. This, these are the things that come out of my character. So do this, not this. There's, these are not arbitrary. This is, this is the moral law. This goes to the way God created everything. So that moral law remains. But we interact with that moral law differently. So it is for, faith, or for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's a gift, but we can lose it. That's what he says right after that. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So a yoke was a harness. And, and, and uh, in Old Testament, they, well, in the first century, they would harness oxen or mules, you know, they'd put something on them and then strap them to some sort of cart or a plow. And Jesus very famously said, take my harness upon you, my yoke upon you. It's easy, it's light. And so uh, he's saying, look, you do not want to go back under the burden, the heavy weight, the crippling, crushing, you know, life-killing burden of trying to keep the law. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Also notice the word again. This is, this is important. Do not again become slaves. Now when we hear the word slavery, we think of American slavery, which is a particularly egregious kind of slavery because it was racial. 
In the first century, people would think of economic slavery. That's who most slaves were, or people that had been captured in a battle. They became slaves. The Jews would hear slavery through the context of their experience of being slaves in Egypt, and then being freed by God, and then going back into slavery. Clearly, Paul is thinking about that when he writes this, but please note, he's writing to Gentiles. They've never been slaves. They were not Jews. They were not captives in Egypt. So when he says, don't go back into slavery, what kind of slavery were they in? Well, if God is not God, then we're a slave. So we all have a God. We all have something that we serve. In the first century, it would have been, they would have been serving, if they were fishermen, they would have served the fisherman's God. If they were in the military, they would have served the God of, you know, power and might. I mean, everybody had gods. That, that's not the way generally it works for us today. But there is something that we are hoping is going to give us meaning and joy. And that sense of freedom and purpose. And it could be power, it could be wealth, it could be pleasure, whatever it is. Here's the thing. If, if your organizing principle, if first place in your life is something other than God, then there is a sense in which you are a slave to something else. And it's perhaps easiest to see when we think about addictions. Because they're just, it's, it's just a, it's an it's an extreme form of what we're up against. So an addiction is something that initially gives pleasure, but over time it takes more and more and gives less and less, right? Until eventually it's taking everything and it's giving nothing. That's what a false god does. It demands more and more. We're trying to placate it. We're trying to get another hit. We're trying to get another high, but it can't ultimately deliver. And so that's the context in which Paul says, right, don't go back there, stand firm, do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You had been a pagan, you've then been a Christ follower, and now you're going back under the law. You're going back into slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So circumcision, again, was sort of the, the, the term to capture all the things that were going on with the Jewish law, but it was only Jewish men that were circumcised. And so it was a sign of identity as a Jew, and when a Gentile was being circumcised, they were identifying as a Jew, and they were identifying with the law. And Paul is saying, right, why are you doing this? Why would you do this? This is not going to take you where you need to go. And, and in fact, he's not just saying it won't work. He's saying that it is bad if you go back under the law. If you think, if you think God is going to love me because of what I do, it's, it's, it's not only not going to help, it's actually going to hurt. That, that's, that's the point. If you go into that performance mindset, God's going to love me because I went to church. God's going to love me because I'm in a Bible study. God's going to love me because I'm doing serve your city. God's going to love me because I'm being better. Right? That thinking leads to slavery. And Paul says, it's not just that it doesn't work. It's not just that that's not how it happens. It's bad. 
and it puts you back into slavery. Again, I declare to every man who let himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. So he says, look, if you're going to go back and try and earn God's favor, you're going to go back and try and be good enough that God will love you, then you have to keep all of the law, moral, civil, ceremonial, and you have to keep it 100% of the time. And you can't do it. This is a bad plan. Don't sign up for that plan. Don't go there. Don't allow yourself to think that way. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Through the Spirit, and we're going to see more now in the next couple weeks on how we actually do change, how we actually do get transformed. It's a work of the Spirit of God. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And hope in the New Testament is, is not so much wishful thinking as it is sort of a certitude. Our confidence is in the righteousness that comes our way because of Christ. Verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any value. And so, again, Paul, Paul's like, to be circumcised or not to be circumcised, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. It's not the issue. It doesn't affect things. However, the motivation of what we do is all important. There will be people that Paul will say, in order for you to be better positioned to reach the Jews, you should be circumcised. He's not against circumcision. It's just he's saying the motivation, if you're doing this thinking you're earning God's favor, you are headed down the wrong path. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts, Paul says, and he's, he's not suggesting that once we step away uh, from the law as it's commonly understood, that there's no law at all. Again, I'm saying freedom that you're after. The freedom that you're after comes by recognizing the love of God, resting in the love of God, and then secondly, following the law of God. But it has to be in that order. The law of God is is a good law. It's been given to us. It tells us how the world works. It says don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't cheat, right? Don't have false gods. Those are all things that help life work better. And he's summarizing it here saying, love others. It's shorthand, and we get a little bit of that, more of that in the New Testament. Then he goes on, you're running a good race. That's a big metaphor for Paul about the Christian life. You're running a good race. Who cut in front of you to keep you from obeying the truth? And we know who cut in front of them. It's the false teachers of the Judaizers. So verses 8 through 12, he sort of bashes the Judaizers. And then we get a little bit of This is the surprising language in verse 12. As for those agitators, the false teachers, the Judaizers, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So since the topic is circumcision, he basically says, some translations say, if you're going to be circumcised, I hope the knife slips. Um, So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit surprising perhaps. So let me try and make this simple. As I said, it's a dense... It's a dense passage. Paul can be heavy. But there's a real win here if we understand it. Freedom is a good thing. God wants you to be free. He gave us freedom. It's caused enormous problems. Obviously, he knew that. But, but freedom is a good thing. 
and it, Christ secures for us freedom again. God gives us freedom. Freedom is a wonderful thing. Um, I want you to be free. I don't want you to be crushed and beaten down. That's the wrong thing. If you're feeling crushed and beaten down, something is wrong. God wants you to know joy and freedom. The second thing is that God's freedom, real freedom, comes from God's love and some limits. The limits that we see prescribed in the law. When you hear people talk about freedom today, you have to listen very carefully. Because there are all manner of definitions from Greek philosophers and political theorists and, and psychologists and, and, and academics. There's all kinds of different definitions being used out there. Most of them say, do whatever you want to do as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Right? Whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't impinge on the freedom of somebody else, that's fine. That's the definition of freedom. That definition doesn't work. Okay, just, somebody just needs to say, <laughs> that definition doesn't work. And you sort of know that it doesn't work, but we hear so many people talking about freedom that somebody needs to say, that definition doesn't work. The freedom that God offers is the freedom that comes from knowing that you are loved by God, accepted by God given forgiveness and eternal life by God. That is the game changer. When you get that, when you understand that, then you go, okay, I'm good. I don't have to worry about this over here. I'm, I can be free from that fear. I can be free from, from that, that anxiety. So the freedom that God offers starts by the love of God, and then it also acknowledges the limits that we are going to face in life. So let, let, me try and, let me try and explain it this way. So we've got a service Thursday nights at the Highland Park campus. And uh, it's a smaller group, very different. It's in a coffee shop. And, and this past Thursday, uh, shortly after the sermon started, I said, okay, get in, get in small groups. And I want, you to, I want you to come up with your definition of freedom. And I want you to talk about when you have felt the most free. Now, uh, when I felt the most free was, uh, when, was when I finished final exams as a, as a college student. And it's one of the great disappointments in life, uh, in adulthood, to realize that you never quite feel that free again. So a uh, great sense of freedom for those of you who just finished classes. And once you're married and have got mortgages and kids and everything else, there's a little bit more responsibility. But it was interesting to hear what people talked about. When did they feel most free? Several people said, when I fell in love, that's when I felt free. Yeah, okay. Wasn't that interesting? Because in fact, when you fall in love, you're not free. <laughs> right? That's sort of the opposite of freedom. You're giving up freedom. You're saying, I will do this. I will consider someone else's needs. Right? It, there, there is a freedom. It comes from design. It comes from purpose. A train is not free when it jumps the tracks. A train is free when it stays on the tracks. Right? So we have to think about what freedom actually 
the purpose, the design of who we are and what we were designed for. We are most free when we are in a relationship with God and we understand and accept his love for us. And we follow the moral commands that he has given. But it has to be in that order. When we understand, first of all, I am accepted on the basis of what Christ has done. It's not what I do. I'm not, I'm not going to earn God's favor. That leads to a great sense of freedom. And then life works best as we follow the moral imperatives that he has given us. Last point. It's worth noting that the argument in Galatians 5 is that the great robber of freedom is religious conservatism. Right? Probably weren't expecting to hear that, but in fact, that's the argument that Paul is making. Who is Paul frustrated with? He's frustrated with the Judaizers. And what do the Judaizers say? They said, have faith in Christ and keep these rules. Right? They're religious conservatives. Who did Jesus go after? The Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? We tend to dismiss the Pharisees. We say they were bad guys because Jesus went after them. They were religious conservatives. They were saying, here's the law. We're going to keep the law. We're going to do everything we can so that we'll be good enough that God will love us. Think about the parables. Who's the bad guy in the parable of the, good, of, uh, of the prodigal son? It's not the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes back and he repents and he enters back into a relationship with the father. It's the, it's the older brother. It's the one who said, I've been good. I've worked hard. I've done everything that the people have asked of me. He's the one who ends up estranged from God. I mean, I, I, could, I could go further down the list. The point is, in Galatians 5, the person, the people that Paul comes out swinging against says, who is going to rob you of your freedom? It's people that are going to put religious rules on top of your life. Now, let me say it again. How do we get freedom? <laughs> freedom comes from resting in the unconditional love of God to us through Jesus Christ. And then, and only then, by following the guidelines God has given us. A God who knows us, who loves us, a God who created us, a God who created everything. A God who knows the beginning from the end and says, don't go down that path, go down that path. You go down that path, it might look easier, but this is the path that's actually going to lead to greater freedom. Sacrifice some freedoms now because there's a greater liberty that is available to you if you do the right thing. We live in a world that celebrates freedom. Christ says, for, Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. We have to understand we're talking about two very different things. <laughs> the freedom that is being talked about, no limits, no consequences, no rights, no wrongs, no rules for me, I'm free, that doesn't lead anywhere. That leads to a wreck. Where you've got to start is understanding and resting in the unconditional love of God extended to us through Jesus Christ. And you have to beat out of your mind this idea that God will love me more if only I do this. If only I do this. If only I do that, God will love me more. No. <laughs> That's bad thinking. God's love for us is unconditional in Christ. It's faith equals salvation plus works. Once we feel free, 
Then out of love and, and out of a desire, because we love God, then we serve. And that's, that's how that whole, that, when do you feel most free? When you're in love. Right? I, I, don't, I don't look at, I don't look at, 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 at marriage to Sherry as, as being this heavy, foreboding ball and chain. No, that's not the way it works. When you love, then it helps lead down a path that works. So, this is a dense topic, but it's an important one because, as I said, many of you do not feel the freedom that is yours if you would rest in your relationship with Christ and the grace extended to us through the work of Christ on the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we could lean more fully, more finely, more completely into your love. I pray for those that are here struggling, feeling frustrated, feeling oppressed, feeling beaten down by life, by all manner of issues. Father, may they sense in a, in a, in a life-giving, transformative way your love. And may that be a light and a, and a, and a light load. May it, may it provide and lead to freedom and joy. Thank you for your law. Help us understand its purpose. Help us never step back under it. Help us never put other people under it. Help us see it as, as um, loving guidelines from you who understands how the world works. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Galatians. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.